You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Kathy's going to read our scripture passage for us this morning. Okay, this is from John 19 through 38 um, into chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, he asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came bringing a mixture of of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. And they took Jesus' body, and they wrapped it in linen cloths with the fragrant spices according to the burial customs of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and a new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation since the tomb was nearby. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the tomb had been removed, the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter, to the other disciples, and the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciples went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on Jesus' head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood beside the tomb crying, and as she was crying, she stood to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they have taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they have put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, said Jesus to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you are seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will take care of him. Jesus said to her, Mary, turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what she had said to her. This morning, that is our passage. 
John chapter 19, verses 38, and then continuing into chapter 20 through verse 18. I know that some of you who know me and my preaching style might think that we will be here all week. Uh, We won't, I promise. Um, I have family coming over for Easter celebration after this as well, so they will hold me accountable in that. But today, believers all over the world celebrate the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ not only willingly went to the cross on our behalf, died for our sins, but then rose from the grave, leaving the tomb empty, leaving it behind him forever, thus defeating death, completing what Scripture had prophesied hundreds of years before he was even born. He glorified God in this, granting us access access to an intimate relationship with God, a relationship that our sin, our bad choices, our disobedience to him prevents from happening without the perfect atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Truly, this is the best news for all mankind. And Gary, I'm apologizing to you right up front, but it's way better news than if the Chiefs were to win the Super Bowl. Am I right? (laughs) That's right. So, or whichever team you are a fan of. Tragically, though, many do choose to reject the best news. This morning, I would like for us to explore how this is the best news for all of us, each man, woman, ever born. And we're going to examine this by how encounters with Jesus through the surrounding characters of this passage how their encounters with Jesus impacted them and changed them along the way. So first off, if you recall our passage, we are going to be looking at Joseph of Arimathea. And I know I'm being warned right now, but they're actually staying with us today. I'm not even missing it. I know. I didn't tell you guys, so that's my fault. Kids, you get to stay with us today, all right? All right. So listen up, because there's characters in the story that you guys might be able to learn a little bit about. What do we know about Joseph of Arimathea besides the fact that he went to Pilate and requested to move Jesus' body, as Kathy just read for us in our passage. He laid it in his own tomb that he owned. Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin. All right, that we see that in Luke 23:50. Now, being a part of that council, those Jewish leaders, Joseph would have been a part of those who were opposing Christ, those who tried Christ, who set up the mock trials and were about getting him crucified. He would have been a member of that council. But yet, the very next verse in Luke 23, we see that he opposed the crucifixion, that he was against it. He was actually secretly a follower of Jesus Christ. He was not public with his faith at this point in time, but he was secret about it. Scripture says that he was a good and upright man. That wouldn't be a bad thing, right, to have Scripture state that you are a good and upright person. He was also most likely a wealthy person, as it says in Matthew 27, 57. It was predicted hundreds of years earlier that Jesus would be laid in a tomb like what he had. In Isaiah 53, 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Have you stopped and thought about that? That scripture hundreds of years before prophesied that this was going to happen and it came true. 
There is nothing else in the history of mankind, no other religion, nothing else out there that can do that for any other thing. There is nothing else that has prophecies this far behind that came true. Like Christianity does. Like it says about Jesus. And so when we pull those little snippets off of Google or Facebook or wherever we're getting our information and there's doubts that creep in. The bottom line is it all centers around Jesus. Was he truly who he says he was? Was he born? Did he live? Did he die? Did he rise again? And we don't have time to go into all this this morning, but I'm just stating this right now for all of you. Take the time to research it yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Don't take an internet post word for it. Don't be somebody who takes somebody's post or blog online and believe that over something that actually has historical, archaeological proof that it happened and existed. In fact, I believe personally from my own research that there is more proof in history that Christ lived, died, rose again than there is just about anything else that happened in history. And if you don't believe me, that's fine. Do the research. Okay? There are both biblical, Christian-based research. There's also secular-based. People who don't even believe in Christ as their Lord and Savior who also back up a lot of the findings. There is proof on both sides. It's not slanted. Okay. Back to the characters. I just had to go on that rant for a minute. For Joseph of Arimathea, the crucifixion spurred him to not just follow, but also to act. Although he went to Pilate in private, he risked being exposed, and we're getting back to the other members of the Sanhedrin. You know that word was going to get out. You know he was taking a chance. He was, he was starting to not just be a secret father, follower of Jesus Christ, but because of his encounter with Christ, because of the impact that Jesus had on him, he was willing to push in his chips, so to say, and go all in and say that I am exposing myself because I believe him and he is who he says he is. When he encountered Christ, it changed him. Nicodemus is the next character in this passage. He was a leader of the Jews, a Pharisee. Uh, and John 3 tells us that. Also a part of the Sanhedrin. And John 7 tells us that. The Pharisees, if you don't know, were a hyper-vigilant group about keeping the law and making sure that everybody else did so. In fact, they were known for heaping law after law after law after law and burden and weight and oppressing the people with all of the things that they should be doing and should not be doing. There was, I've heard some over 800 different laws that a good devout Jew was supposed to practice and keep. And I don't know about you, but there's no chance that I would even get close to that. And that's what the Pharisees were about for the Jewish people. Jesus rebuked them more strongly than anybody else. And we see that through all four Gospels. Matthew 23 in particular. Jesus went after the religious leaders more than anybody else. Saying that you of all people should be serving them, not heaping burden after burden on them. Early in Jesus' ministry, Nicodemus, which kids, you know this story? Where he went secretly to meet Jesus at night? 
It's like a midnight secret meeting, all right? You know, sometimes you want to do that with your friends when you have a sleepover, only mom and dad are like, shh, go to sleep, right? But you're like wanting to talk and have secret meetings and plan what you're going to do the next day. Obey mom and dad. But you know what I'm talking about. When Nicodemus did this with Jesus, he secretly met with Christ in the middle of the night for fear of his position, his status, who he belonged with. He wasn't even sure he believed in this Jesus guy, but he was curious. Just knowing about Jesus, maybe observing him from afar as Jesus taught, was beginning to change him. And it is in this interchange between Jesus and Nicodemus that we have our probably the most famous verse of all time. Anybody know what that is? Kids? John 3, 16. That's right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. John three sixteen. Well, later, while the Pharisees were plotting against Jesus, Nicodemus voiced for them to consider hearing from Jesus in person. Not just hearsay, not just what they think, but, hey, let's invite him in. Let's hear from him in person. That sounds like a good move to me, right? When somebody is gossiping, you hear a rumor, you want to go straight to the source. Nicodemus is recommending this to the Pharisees. They rejected it, of course. The amount of spices that we read about in our passage this morning that he brought to help bury Jesus, to assist Joseph of Arimathea in, indicates that he truly became an admirer of Jesus. Uh, It took an incredible amount of money to bring that amount of spice. Uh, And so indications would be this would be a form of affection. There's not actual scriptural proof that he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, but I would this would show proof, this would be fruit, if you will, that he probably did. The other thing that I see in this too is that he was willing to put himself in a place of being considered unclean. So Pharisees and the Jewish law had a very high stringency about touching a dead body, being around a dead body, and that you would be unclean for a serious amount of time. And he was willing to do that for Jesus. For Nicodemus, meeting Jesus in the middle of the night began a journey for him. Then the death of Jesus brought about a change in his life to where he was willing to be associated with not only the burial of Jesus Christ, but also become unclean and known as a follower later on. Next, we have Mary Magdalene. And I have my notes mixed up, so you're going to have to just forgive me for a second here. Mary Magdalene was one of the first to arrive at the tomb, one of the first to witness the resurrection. She first encountered Jesus when he cast seven demons out of her. Talk about a first encounter, right? That's her first meeting, Jesus healing her of having seven demons inside her. She and some other ladies also helped provide for Jesus after that. They literally followed him around, um, helping provide for, it doesn't say specifically, but I would imagine that would include food, perhaps 
uh, money, uh, perhaps helping secure places for them to stay as they're going around and teaching and preaching. She also witnessed most of the events surrounding the crucifixion. She and is believed Jesus' mother, maybe one or two other ladies, were the ones that were there with him all along the way. When he was being beaten at the trials, when he was suffering, when he was being tortured, and even standing close to him at the cross, risking her life, being associated with him to be there with him. See, for Joseph and for Nicodemus, it was more of this continual process going along. And for Mary Magdalene, it was all in immediately. She was sold out. She gave up her former life. She gave up everything so that she could then follow him and be there with him. And then Jesus revealing himself to her first. And I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but in Palestine then, as well as it is today, women were not high on the credibility list for witness. They were not valued very much. And Jesus chose to reveal himself first to women. And what a beautiful act of redemption that God did purposely instilling in all of us the beauty, the honor, the value of a woman. The other thing that this does is it also helps prove credibility for his resurrection and the empty tomb. Because if somebody was making this up, they would have used the most credible witness they could think of. They would have used some of the highest-ranking Pharisees. They would have used some of the highest-ranking governing officials. If you were making this up and you wanted it to sound legit, you would tie in and write in the most credible witnesses. Well, in essence, because the Gospels, all four of them, show that women were the first to encounter Jesus first and the empty tomb, that that is huge evidence towards his resurrection, the empty tomb being legitimate. After Mary, we have Peter. Well, if you've been around Scripture much or in church much, you're probably familiar with Peter. He's one of those unforgettable characters. Uh, He has a syndrome that I like to call uh, foot-in-mouth syndrome. Uh, Maybe you guys are familiar with somebody uh, who has that. Uh, no jabbing your spouse right here, where you speak before you think, right? And we see that throughout history with Peter. And, and while we don't have time to go into his story because it's quite extensive, I will read for you one quick thought that a commentator had as he sums it up. He says this, Simon Peter, also known as, as Cephas, was one of the first followers of Jesus Christ. He was an outspoken and ardent disciple, one of Jesus' closest friends, an apostle, and a pillar of the church. Peter was enthusiastic, strong-willed, impulsive, and at times brash. Peter did get to walk on water, the only other human besides Jesus recorded to do so. He was also known for some really big fails. How would you like your fails to be recorded in Scripture for all eternity? (laughs) This might cover me through 21, (laughs) if all of mine were recorded. But Peter's were. On the eve of Jesus' crucifixion, in fact, he had several just that night. 
First off, Jesus asked him to stay awake and pray. He fell asleep. When the group came to take Jesus away, he cut a guy's ear off. And then on top of that, once Jesus was arrested, he and the other disciples fled. On the eve of Jesus, the one you have been following with, sleeping next to, serving with, learning from, of his crucifixion, you have three huge fails. And this wasn't even the biggest. The fourth is where he denied Christ three times. As Mary and the other ladies were watching from a distance what was going on with Christ, Peter was denying him three times. Can you imagine? Can you imagine then after Jesus was crucified how he felt? Wondering, waiting, was all of this for naught? The last thing that I did for Jesus was to deny him. You see, when somebody is passing that we know and love, if we have the opportunity, we do everything we can, don't we, to communicate that. We do everything we can to ask for forgiveness of anything that we've done to clear the air so that the slate is clean, that there are no regrets. Peter did not have that chance before Christ dying. And see, at this point, he and the other disciples were not remembering Jesus' own prophecies about himself rising again in three days. And so he was very much in the pits of despair. But Peter, he became a pillar of God's church, as I said earlier. This is whom I will build my church upon, as Christ said. The encounter with Jesus transformed Peter's life from him giving up his career as a fisherman to following him, doing some really boneheaded things along the way. But then with the resurrection, one of my favorite passages in the resurrection, after the resurrection is Jesus restoring Peter. It should give us such great hope and encouragement. Because while it looks like to us that Peter committed one of the most impartable sins. In fact, Christ even said that to him and the other disciples. If anyone were to die in me before man, I will deny you before the Father. Peter's thinking life is over. Eternity, his future is gone. And while they're out fishing, Christ calls to them from the shore. And he's got a fire going. He's got breakfast cooked up. And the same three times that Jesus, or that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus asked Peter three questions in an effort to show him his forgiveness, his love, and restoring him to the place. The overwhelming gratitude that Peter must have felt, I think we can see evidence throughout Acts and the rest of his life as he preaches the gospel, as he lives and then dies for Christ. The Apostle John, not the Baptist, don't mistake the two here. The Apostle John is next in our list. He won the race to the empty tomb. Right, kids? He and Peter were racing. Only John outran him. He was the faster runner. But John stopped at the tomb, looking in, wondering what was going on. Peter 
the brash one just ran right in. You can almost just see him almost elbowing him out of the way like, let me see. I love how the Apostle John refers to himself throughout his gospel as the one whom Jesus loved. He's like, well, man, that's pretty conceited of this guy, but stop and think about it. He was so confident in God's love for himself that as he is penning the inspired word of God, he calls himself the apostle whom Jesus loved. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a follower that Jesus loves. You are a follower that Jesus loves. Praise God for that. Well, John was not perfect either. I, you got to feel bad for the disciples. They're just ordinary guys that God called, they answered, and now their mistakes are recorded for all eternity. In Mark 9, John forbade a man who was casting out demons in Jesus' name because he wasn't one of the twelve. You aren't on the in crowd. You aren't one of us, so you can't go do that ministry. Jesus rebuked him. He and his brother wanted to throw down like Elijah and call fire down from heaven on some Samaritans who were not welcoming to Jesus. Rebuked again. Hey, that's not how it works. (laughs) It's about loving and reaching the lost. That took place in Luke 9. However, John aged well. Oh, wait, don't forget he and his brother wanted to sit at the right hand of Jesus. Like, hey, we're better than everybody else. Don't forget that little deal there. But he aged well. One scholar says it that way. He wrote five New Testament books speaking on love and truth, probably more so than anyone else in Jesus. See, the resurrection for John provided a hope and a purpose. In spite of extreme isolation at the end of his life, he also became a pillar in the, pillar in the church in Jerusalem. It was instrumental in it expanding and growing, serving alongside Peter. And later in his life, John was not martyred, but he was exiled. He was exiled to the island of Patmos, where he received the visions and prophecies for writing the book of Revelation. Because of Jesus and the resurrection, his encounters with him, works in progress like we all are, this man was changed as well. What about you and me? You see, believe it or not, we're characters in this story as well. We're not specifically mentioned in this passage. But we're characters in this resurrection story as well. And by God's grace, (laughs) our failures are not etched in Scripture for all eternity. But as we reflect on life, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning, the lives of these characters are not that unfamiliar to us. Each one may be representing each one of us at different levels in different places. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, Mary Magdalene, Peter, the Apostle John, their mistakes, their lives, their salvation, their obedience should all be of great encouragement to us. For each one of them, as it is true for us, encountering Jesus brings about radical change. 
salvation, hope, eternal life, if we choose to confess and believe in him, or if we choose to reject him, that encounter will also radically change our life in the course and our future to desolation, destruction, and eternal death. For each one of them, as it is true for us, salvation is dependent upon the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Not because any one of them were good enough. Mary had seven demons living in her when Jesus met her. And she didn't have to try to get rid of them for Christ to save her. Not one of us can do one thing to earn our salvation. Not one of us can do one thing to make ourselves good enough for then Christ to look at us to save us. He initiated his love with the cross. Salvation is dependent upon his mercy and his grace, not us doing works. For each one of them, as it is true for us, by confessing and believing that Jesus Christ is Lord, which is our salvation, that produces faith. And then faith, our faith in him, expresses itself through obedience to God out of love for him. It's not a fire insurance policy, as you may have heard. It's not a, I get to choose Christ and repent and believe and I'm saved forever. Now I can go live and do however I want. If you truly believe in him, if you've truly chosen him to be Lord of your life, your life, your words will reflect that. And while we see some really big fails on our characters today, Peter being primary, there is fruit and evidence of his life, of him choosing to follow Christ. Jesus came to earth. He was God, is God, creator. For from him and through him and to him are all things. It says in Romans, humbled himself to become like what he created. Kids, would you choose to make yourself like a pile of clay that you make? No, it would be less than what you are. But Jesus did that for us. And when he was here, he experienced every emotion that we experience. We forget that. Oh, he just had the supernatural power and he didn't have to deal with the same thoughts and feelings that we do. Yeah, he had supernatural power, the same power that we have access to through him. But he felt everything like we feel. He felt pain. He felt tired. He felt joy. He felt sad. He was tempted. He stubbed his toe. He bloodied his knees. I'm sure he hit his hand, thumb with a hammer at some point in the carpenter shop working with dad. The humanity of Christ is important. And yet he did all of that without sinning. All of that without sinning so that one day, at just the right time, he could go to the cross and die for us. For my sin for your sin your disobedience your 
lust, your judgment, your bad words, your impure thoughts, mine. Before we even said yes to him. Humbly, willingly submitting to God. Taking on God's wrath. God's wrath is just as important as his love. We can get very upset about why did God allow or why did God do. But the bottom line is, is don't we want justice? When there is crime committed, don't we want justice? Shouldn't somebody have to have a consequence and pay for those things? Yes. We get that from God. And if there is not his wrath, there cannot be the extravagance of his love and his mercy. If there is not wrath, what does it matter what we do? But it's in his nature to be good, to be holy, to be righteous. And because of that, he can't be around our sin. One, not if we denied him three times like Peter, not if we killed somebody, not if we stole something, what we consider the big ones. A little one. Fudging a number on our tax return. Reporting the wrong amount on our expense reimbursements at work. Cheating on a test. A lie. Yeah, mom, I've already read that. But really you haven't and you're going to get to it. Did you do the chores? Yes, but you haven't. Every one of those and in between separate us from God and keep us from being in his presence. Keeping us from being in his presence. But Jesus, though innocent, was cursed, beaten, whipped, tortured, went to the cross. And while the physical pain was immense and more than we could imagine, the spiritual pain and the separation and intimacy from God when he took on the sin and God could not be in his presence. And God poured out his wrath on him. It was the darkest moment in eternity. Eternity past and eternity future. But this morning, this is where I wish I was a black preacher. This is where I get really up. I'm not, so I'm not going to try to do it. Khalif, don't worry. Don't judge me, bro. But this is where I'm like, (laughs) this morning, thank you, on Easter, we celebrate the best moment of all eternity. The best moment in all of eternity because the tomb is empty. The tomb was empty. He rose again. He defeated death. There is no other so-called spiritual leader or religion that has somebody rise from the dead. They can claim they may have raised somebody else from dead. In fact, Christ had done that multiple times. But nobody in eternity past nor in eternity future will rise themselves from the dead. There's a claim the Antichrist could. We'll see. 
it won't be like this. So Jesus defeated death and rose again. And that, that's right. And what that means, what does that mean for you and me? That means our eternity is set. Our future is secure. That means our sins have been paid for. It's not a free license to go and do whatever we want. Eat and drink for tomorrow we die and we'll go to heaven. No, it's not one of those deals. It's to love him and appreciate him every day that we are given. Every breath that we take. And how can I serve you? How can I follow you and love you? And I can promise you, the more you push your chips in, the more committed you are, the more you let go of the worldly pursuits, the more peaceful and joyful you will be. I am not saying that life will be perfect. I am not saying that you'll automatically have all your bills paid and you'll always have the best jobs and your health will be fantastic. That's the wrong gospel. That is the wrong gospel. The New Testament very clearly talks about multiple times about we will suffer if we follow him, but he will be there with us. You suffering for him, him with you in the process, is better than all else. Because you're going to suffer in life, period. Have you noticed? I've noticed. Everybody's going to go through hard stuff. Would you rather the God of the universe, the creator, Jesus Christ, be walking beside you, counseling you through the Holy Spirit along the way, giving you reason and purpose for it, or just trying to figure it out on all the whys? Not me. I don't know how you do it without Jesus. I grieve for those who are trying to. You see, his grave clothes were left in the tomb. He's never going to need him again. Lazarus came out of the tomb with grave clothes on. He needed him again. Jesus raised him from the dead. If I'm Lazarus, no, what are you doing? Are you kidding me? You're pulling me out of heaven. I got to come back and I got to die again? <laughs> you better know what you're doing, Jesus. <laughs> but you do, but... <laughs> I mean, like, he's like the guy I feel sorry for the most in the Bible. Like, the, he brought Lazarus back. But he came out with his grave clothes on because he was going to need him again. Jesus, he left him. Never to be needed again. He's coming back. Our story's not done. He's coming back for his church, his bride, those who've chosen to believe in him. And if you've got friends and loved ones who believed him, have gone before, they're going to beat us there. They already have. And we don't have to miss them like those who have no hope of seeing others again. It gives us the hope to carry on. It should give us a fire inside us to make sure that we are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ 
with others around us. One more thing I want to put to your attention and then we'll, cl- we'll close here. Chapter 20, second part of verse 17 of John. The empty tomb not only means that Jesus saved us, but we gain a new family. Jesus told Mary here, Go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. See, the Gospel of John, a hundred plus times before this, talks about Jesus referencing God as his Father. Here, Jesus flips it and adds us to it. Go, talking to Mary here, go, tell my brothers, the disciples, those who follow him, brothers, sisters, we have become his brothers and sisters because of the resurrection. If we choose to believe in him. And God is also now our father. He is not some deity on high waiting for us to mess up with a list of all of these things and demerits going down the list waiting for us. He is our loving Father. He is our loving Father. He is our God. Jesus is our brother. If you are here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, praise God. This should be better than Christmas for us. It should be. In fact, would y'all, what if we switch to giving gifts to Easter instead of Christmas, get past all the commercialism, right? I know you miss the Black Friday deals, but if you plan ahead, you can. Would you, you want to do that with me? <laughs> this should be our best day. I couldn't sleep last night. I maybe slept 30 minutes because I was so excited about celebrating this with you. It should be this day every day we get up. Every day we get to get up and serve him to live as Christ and to die someday will be even more gain. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I appeal to you this morning to not wait any longer. Would you choose him? Would you choose to repent of your sins? Would you choose to confess to him that you're not Lord, that he is? Would you believe in him as your savior, your brother, your friend, God as your father? And I won't lie to you. I'm not going to sugarcoat it like a used car salesman and then pick up your cross and follow him. Because it is a laying down of our earthly, worldly life and pursuing things of this world and taking up our eternal life, our spiritual life. We've got two more songs. If the team would come back up to do that, lead us in that. 
I'm going to stay up here up front and I'll just be up here on the front row. I'm going to ask this of you. If you have chosen to accept Christ as your Savior this morning, or you would like to and not sure what step next step is, would you come see me? Would you take that brave step and not, not make one more mistake like Peter and denying him before others? Would you be willing to come up front and say that? I'll be up here if more than one, I know there's several folks in here that would be glad to meet you or talk with you about it. In fact, if you're like, I don't want to talk to the guy with the microphone, it'll be off, but I can point you to somebody else if you'd rather. It doesn't have to be about me. So as they're singing these songs, let's celebrate together. Let's stand and worship our Savior and Lord. And if you've chosen him, please let me introduce you or celebrate with you.